0: see whether or not it is Um, a lot of anxiety just in the waiting time But, but hey the reason we pray is because she had it three times and God can heal it four times he's a mighty big God and he's been mighty good even in the storms he's good God thank you so much Lord for being so incredibly good God I thank you for loving us Lord I thank you for the day you touched Each and every one of us in this place, God, I thank you, Lord, for last Saturday, God, that you you reached down and touched 549 more just like us. And the week before that, that you took time to touch 49 teenagers in the public school system, God, and Lord, that you'd reach down and touch one in here in a Sunday morning service, Lord, and God, I look ahead to Friday, Father, I, I pray that if you tarry and the Lord doesn't come get us between now and this weekend, God, I... I pray for a great harvest of souls. God, I pray you'd forgive us. God, I pray you'd forgive us for last weekend, Father. I I don't feel like we were spiritually prepared for last weekend. I know some may have been, but I can clearly speak for myself and say that I wasn't. I spent too much time getting physically prepared and not enough time spiritually. And God, I pray that you'd help us to overcome that this weekend. I pray that no matter what happens on that trail with movies and props and And flash charges and all the things, God, I pray that we each one be spiritually prepared, God, that the Holy Spirit might do an amazing work. And God, I pray right now for us in this room tonight, Lord, I pray you'd take this letter that you wrote through the hand of your Apostle Paul, and I pray that you'd teach us something, God. I pray you'd speak to everybody in this place. I pray you'd help us to learn something. Give us a nugget, God, something that might change something in us and make us a better servant for you, something that would draw us closer to you, God. We just want to be pleasing to you. Father, our our heart's desire is to be in the center of your perfect will, God. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to still be 2 Corinthians. We'll continue our study here in the letter, the second one that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Um, I'm going to back up and pick up just a little bit to kind of get it, because I want to make sure I tie everything into it to kind of keep, you know, it is a letter. As I, I told you before, it's not a it's not a chapter 5 and chapter 6. It's not a verse 8, 9, 10. It's, it's a letter. And, and sometimes if you just pick up at a spot in the letter without kind of going back and picking up where you were, you kind of lose the gist of it. So I'm going to read Second um, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. Um, actually, I, I, want, I, want to, I don't know what I did with another page. I had another page I was going to back up and read it. and I might just have to open my Bible and read it. I don't know what I did with it. Y'all ever lose anything? What's so bad? I lost it between back there and up here. ain't bad enough. Well, I'll tell you what I didn't do. I didn't take it out of my Bible. It's still in here. I hadn't changed any of it, so y'all give me just a minute. All I did was just kind of print it out because I wanted to back up and and, and get just a little bit to kind of pick up where we are. When I get over to it, I'm going to be at Second Corinthians chapter five. I'm just going to pick up right there at the at the end of the chapter. Um, I wanted to pick up and just read at verse number twenty and twenty and twenty one. Now, when we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation." giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience and afflictions and necessities and distresses and stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors and watchings and fastings. And tonight I'm going to spend some time here in these. We're going to take a minute and take a look at these. But I wanted to back up just a quick little reminder that Paul told us that we are ambassadors for Christ. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we, we looked at an ambassador as someone representing his country in another country. It, it is someone um, representing the place that he came from or the place that uh, would be his, his native origin. And we're, we're not of this country. We're just pilgrims. He touched us, right? We're not of this land. We're just passing through. That means that we are here as ambassadors for Christ. We are here as ambassadors of the homeland. And what people see when they see us is what they see Christianity as being. When, When they look at us, if we are indeed ambassadors of heaven, we are ambassadors of Christ, and we should be living examples of Christianity. And you've heard me say it many times. But when people look at you, for many people, your life is the only Bible they're ever going to read. They look at how you handle storms. They look at how you handle adversities. They look at how you handle the news that somebody in your family has cancer. They, They look at how you handle a loved one passing away. They look at everything that goes on in your life. They see you. They analyze you. And to be perfectly honest, the world around you, they're just looking with great expectation for the day you'll fall. The, the world is looking, hoping you will fall. But every time you survive another storm, every time you smile on a stormy day, every time you, you look at somebody and extend the love of Christ on a day when it seems like your world is falling apart, it continues to tear down those thoughts and it draws them closer to Christ. That's what an ambassador is. It is a representation of Jesus Christ that people see Christ in us and that people see Christ through us. Amen. So in verse number four, and things approving, it went on, I think I read down to about verse five, verse six, by pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. So, we're not going to, you think you can be seated. We're not going to camp out on these. I'm not going to do word studies to each of these, because if we did, we'd probably be right here for several weeks just in these four or five verses. And I'm not doing, well, you can't do an exhaustive study of the Word of God. It doesn't matter how hard you try or how long you stay, but I'm certainly not even in an attempt to do an exhaustive study through this letter of the church at Corinth. I just want us to look at it and kind of get the highlight of what we can. And to be honest, leave it there that God gives us something from it. We could turn around and come through it again and get a whole new lesson. But I do want to take a look at some of these characteristics that Paul puts in right here because he's talking about the characteristics that he possesses um, as an apostle. He's talking about the characteristics that he has um, taken on. And he begins with this word, patience. What a place to have to start. He he wrote in a letter to the church at Rome and he said, Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Anybody glorying in tribulations yet? We glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. How many of us would raise our hand and say we have all the patience we need? If you raised your hand, I know you wasn't paying attention to what I just said. You just already said somebody raised raise hand, I'll throw one up. I've told you several times before, you can pray for patience if you want to. I'll even pray for you for patience. But don't you pray for me for patience? And I sure ain't going to pray for myself for patience. God don't mind teaching you patience, but He does not give out patience. It is not a free handout. He is a teacher of patience. And it is some hard lessons learned and I'm probably not the only one that has been dumb enough at some point in your past to pray for patience. But God broke me from that prayer. He's going to teach it to you whether you pray for it or not. I just assume it comes in mild doses. ain't only me praying and getting it in heavier doses, and I can take it. But, but patience, patience is a big thing. So, so how many of us would, would raise our hand and say that by nature we're not a very patient person? It's just our nature. I'll be honest, we are raising certainly a generation of impatience. I I remember when you waited an hour for the oven to get things done to have dinner, and now you're irritated if 45 seconds wasn't enough in the microwave and you still got a couple of cold spots in your meal. (laughs) I I, I remember having to... For an hour, waiting on somebody to answer the phone. Now there's no such thing. You know if they didn't answer it, they screened your call. They didn't want to talk to you. If it didn't ring but once or twice and went to voicemail, you know they swiped you off. It didn't just get kicked off. They did it to you. We, we, we are raising a world of impatient people. We don't like to wait on nothing. Why should we have to? a matter of fact, I mean, you, we'll pay money we don't have for a faster phone because at least they say it's faster. I don't know if it is or not. If your Internet, if you click on it and it squirrels three times, you're on the phone trying to find out who's got a faster service to change your stuff. I asked that thing a question two and a half seconds ago, and if that ain't bad enough now to keep from wasting time to get up and go to the computer, they have those things in the house that they just ask it the question that it answers. You ain't even got to get up. What do they call that thing? Alexa. Alexa? She must know more than Google. Huh? Oh, that's her cousin. They're all connected in a the family. They're some smart folks. We, we have this, this impatient generation. Well, I have some encouragement for you. For those of us who, by nature, are type A personalities, by nature we're not good at waiting on anything, by nature we're just not very patient with people in, in any aspect, I have some encouragement because when I look at the life of the Apostle Paul, I see anything but a patient man. Because you got to remember now, you remember we just sang about it, he touched me. He touched me. We've we got to remember there was a time before he touched me. And, and there, was, there was the time then, and there's been some storms, there's been some things that brought us to where we are. Well, the same was true if you look at the Apostle Paul. Before he had his road to Damascus experience, he was not a very patient person. The Bible says that he was breathing threats against the church. He was going out seeking Christians. He was looking for them to destroy them. In Acts chapter 5, the Bible talks about Peter and the other apostles. They had been arrested. They had been beaten. They had been thrown into prison at night, and they were told not to speak anymore in this name, Jesus. Next morning, the Pharisees come together. They send the guards to go get them out of prison. During the night, And angel's come and got them out, and the guards come back and say, You know them men y'all put in prison last night and told don't preach anymore? They said, yeah, what about them? They said, they're standing out there in the streets preaching about Jesus. The Lord set them free from prison, and they didn't hit the ground running. They went straight back to the same place they got arrested and started telling the same old people about the blood of Jesus, that it's sufficient. So they brought them back in. In Acts chapter 5, verse 27, they set them before the council and the high priest, asked them, said, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? Behold, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel, to slay them. Saul had no patience with this kind of people. At that point, Saul's only desire, a man like Saul, any of them like him, would have been just to take them out and stone them in the street and be done with them. But there was one there named Gamaliel. Acts chapter 5, it goes on in verse 34. It says that one of them in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had a reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. He said unto them, Y'all, y'all pay attention because this has got a whole lot to do with the church today. Y'all listening? This has got a whole lot to do with stuff you see going on. This has got a whole lot to do with other churches you see doing programs. How many of you remember a few years ago when we were the worst church in the world because we did a program called Judgment Journey? We were in the to make money. I wish, I wish, I wish that somebody else would have to pay for Judgment Journey one time. It'd save us $200,000, and we won't have to go into January with a $50,000 debt coming out of Judgment Journey. We were in it to make money. We were just in it to scare people. The Bible says that some are going to be scared, saving them by fear, pulling them out of the fire. Understanding that the only reason we've ever started Judgment Journey 22, 23 years ago, in 1997, the reason we put it into play was to try to reach the lost in this area. And now from that, God has got people flying in from Canada, flying in from California, flying in from Oklahoma, flying in from Las Vegas, flying in um, from Oregon. Churches bringing busloads down from Indiana, Illinois, Ohio. Churches coming up from Florida, all around the southeast coming here. So God has taken it. He's answered a prayer. He has increased our footprint that now one single program preaches to judea jerusalem samaria and almost into the uttermost parts of the earth god has sent a team from this church to peru built the judgment journey in peru there is a judgment journey peru that that church does because this church flew over there and helped them build it there's a church in north georgia does a program called hell's gates because this church Went up there and helped them build it. Brought them down here and spent a year teaching them how to run the gym, how to run the wagons, how to time coordinate it. Listen, judgment journey is not ours. It's just a ministry. But how many of you know that churches are really good at throwing rocks at other churches about stuff because it ain't what they're doing? Most of the time, the ones that will complain and run their mouth and murmur is the ones sitting on their backside doing absolutely nothing. And it ain't just church against church. It's the same in Judgment Journey 2019. It's the same in everything in Faith Baptist Church. The ones that feel the right to complain, the ones that want to tear down, the ones that want to foam at the mouth like they got rabies, or the ones sitting on their backside doing nothing in this church. I'll be honest, you pass along. Shut up. If you don't like what we're doing, either help or move on. But we're here to reach souls for Christ. So, so Gamaliel, he says, you got to take all this into consideration. You men of Israel, take heed what you intend to do is touching these men. For before these days rose up Thirdeus, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves who were slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him, he also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him Were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or if this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found to fight even against God. If somebody else is doing something, whatever the other churches in this community are doing, do two things. Number one, pray for them, and number two, support them. If it's of God, then it'll, it'll thrive and lost souls will be saved. If it's not of God, it'll come to naught. Lord, help us. Saul, Saul doesn't have the kind of patience of Gamaliel. Saul's not the one standing up telling him, hey, just let it go. This is God's house. God will take care of this. If it's of God, God will bless him. If it's not, God will take care of it, leave it alone. Saul doesn't have that kind of patience. Verse number 40, it says... the. To him, they they agreed with, with Gamaliel, it says that when they heard, they called the apostles, and then when they had beaten them, they commanded them they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they were beaten, put in prison. God opened the prison cells at night. They went back out in the streets preaching the very next morning. They were arrested, brought back in. They were beaten again, put back out. In verse number 41, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. There was no silencing them. They they loved him, but Saul was an intolerant man who hated them. Saul was a man who had a desire to stamp out Christianity. He had no tolerance for anybody that had anything to do outside of his traditional law. The old tradition, that's all he wanted. But then after, after his road to Damascus experience, after he comes back, he writes things like, but if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? Romans 15, 4, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Romans fifteen five Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians twelve twelve Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. In 1 Thessalonians, he wrote... Chapter 1 of verse 3, remembering without ceasing the work of your faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. This is the man who is very intolerant. This is the man who is very impatient by nature. This is that type A personality, Hebrew of Hebrews. He is a Roman citizen, 2 Thessalonians 1, 4, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. We don't know for sure who wrote Hebrews. A lot of people want to credit Hebrews to the Apostle Paul. Certainly some of the writing styles do bring similarities to that Apostle Paul. But the Word of God doesn't tell us exactly who wrote Hebrews. But I will go ahead and give you three passages from Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 12, that ye be not slothful, but follow of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 10.36, For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Chapter 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we are so compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So what we see in the life of Saul is that Jesus touched him. He touched me. He met him on the road to Damascus. He saw him. Jesus touched him. And what we see after that is we see that he is an apostle who has suffered many trials. He has suffered through many tribulations. He has suffered through a number of things. And the things that he has suffered through has taught him patience. Patience doesn't come easy. But it does come. Remember, last week, verse number 3, Paul said, Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. How we handle things is what people see. Y'all didn't hear me? How we handle adversities, that's what people see. How you handle situations in life, how you handle things that come against you, how you handle a coworker talking against you. How you handle rumors of something said about you behind your back. How you handle somebody posting something about you on social media. How you handle what comes your way. That's what Christianity is to the people that are looking at you. We claim to be Christians the way we handle things. That's what Christianity becomes. That's what they see. He goes on in verse number 4 and says, But all things are proving ourselves as the ministers of God. He says that God proves us in much patience in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses. Now, for those of us who aren't patient people by nature, um, we we can look and see clearly that, that neither is the Apostle Paul. He says that patience is a character trait that God has added to his character through tribulation. Did did y'all hear that? Did I say that clear? Was that able? Patience is a character trait that he didn't used to have, but now he has some of it. And the reason he has some of it is because God, through tribulation, has added that trait to his character. So he now has some patience. Then he uses the word patience afflictions there in verse number four but the Greek word that he uses for affliction comes from a word that also means tribulation it carries the idea of applied pressure it is a burden to the spirit what he's saying is God has put me in some tribulations God has put me in some afflictions God has put me in the wine press kind of like that place called Gethsemane it is the press it's where Jesus was carried for the press he said I have been put in the press and because I have been Pressed in these tribulations and these experiences, I now have some patience. He says that he's pressed me in necessities. Paul's a man that knows some things about necessities. Paul's a man that know, you know, when he talks about being shipwrecked and all the things that he went through a day and a night at sea and and, and all the, the mockeries of men and all the things, countrymen and, and, and Gentiles, and he puts in all, but but we know that Paul is a man. Who understands necessities? He knows what it means to have to do without. Paul even knew what it meant to be in prison. We know there were some times when Paul was in prison that he was given some special liberties. He was given some decent meals. He was told when his friends come, let his friends come see him, let them come and visit with him. But this time is no longer. Paul is in a time when he's in stocks and bonds, he's locked up in a cold, dark dungeon. He's behind bars, and can I tell you in that day, they didn't have color television. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have weight rooms. They didn't have three square meals a day. They didn't have rights that the guards themselves don't even have. They were prisoners, and the guards didn't give a flying two cents if they ate or not. They didn't care if they had water or not. They were prisoners. They had broken the law, and they were condemned by that cold, dark cell. And even though Paul had never broken any law in their mind, he had broken Roman law. And because of that, he is locked away, and they couldn't care less about the apostle Paul. He wrote to Timothy chapter 4 in his second letter, verse 9. He said, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Christians to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with me, or with thee, for he is profitable me for the ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, the cloak that I left at Tros with Carpus. When thou comest, bring with thee in the books, but especially the parchment. Paul said, I need these things. I need these books, especially I need the parchments, but I need that coat too. It's cold down here. I remember leaving my coat over. Bring it to me. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Here's your good answer. You ready? ready? This this is a man who's learned some patience. The coppersmith has done me much evil. That means this man has has done some stuff. He may even be why I'm in prison. He's hurt my ministry. He's hurt me physically. He's hurt me personally. He has done great harm to me. The Lord reward him according to his works. Boy, how would it be if we get that kind of patience about us? Somebody does something wrong, we do what Jesus said, pray for our enemies who spitefully use us and persecute us and say all manner of evil against us, and just leave it with, Lord, reward them according to their works. Boy, you know not right off. Paul just put something on them. Boy, they got a bad day coming is all I got to say. Then he warns them of whom thou where also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. In my first answer no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Wow He continues to pray for the ones that are against him. Notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He said, do the best you can in the winter. Come to me as soon as you can and bring that coat to me. It's easy to see that, that Paul knew something about necessities. Paul knew something about being without. Now, then our text gives us this word distresses. It, it also comes where it means great pressures. It kind of has some similarities to the other word, but, but it, ta- it carries the idea of great anguish through pressure or applying pressure, and that pressure causes grief and causes anxiety. It is to be pressed upon or pressured to the point of, of anguish a great example of that would be samson and delilah if y'all remember she continued to to press him and to press him and to press him and to press him she wanted to know where's your strength come from and he kept lying but nonetheless she kept pressing and pressing and pressing matter of fact judges 16 16 says it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death it was a daily pressure it was an anguish it was a Constant application. Paul says, I'm going through that stuff. It is a constant burden. People daily are pressing me. This ain't like something somebody did last year. This is a daily pressure. It continually comes my way. Can I tell you, just because you had problems yesterday, just because you had problems today, that doesn't mean you served your sentence. You might have some tomorrow. Just because there was some pressures applied today, sometimes there can be a daily vexing. It just seems like anybody say it comes in bunches like bananas. Yeah, But if we look back to, to verse number 14 there in chapter 5, Paul gives us an answer that I want to kind of drag over here into this part of the story. For the love of Christ constraineth us. I see that in everything he just said. I see that in everything he just prayed. Everything, even when he prayed for somebody against him, he prayed for him. He never once prayed against anybody. He said, God, you deal with them. You take care of it. You bless. Uh, Lord, I, Even those that stood against him, he said, Lord, don't put it to their charge. Just draw them to you. Just bless them. That is the love of Christ constraineth us. Well, what we could do is take each one of those words and look at that word. And then you can look back and say, how did Paul deal with that? The love of Christ constraineth us. It is the love of Christ that keeps us together. It is the love of Christ in us and the love of Christ through us. One of the things we have to do is we have to learn to love people. That would be easy if people wasn't people. I heard an amen on that. God loves us in spite of us. We have to learn to do the same thing. We we have to learn to have a love that has no boundaries. Boy, if I could sell that in a bottle. Well, I don't know how to tell you to do it. I just know what we're supposed to do. I ever get it figured out, I'll preach a message on it. But right now, I'll just tell you what we're supposed to be doing, and we'll just work at it as best as we can. Verse number 5, Paul, Paul names some of his own sufferings. He says, in stripes. Can, can I tell you that Paul's back is a written ledger of what it means to be um, burdened in stripes. Paul has been beaten, whipped, lashed, back ripped up. His back is a living testimony. You, you can read what pain and suffering looks like Just by looking at his back, he says, in imprisonments. Paul's been in as many prisons as he has places. Paul knows what he's talking about. He says, in tumult. The word that he's talking here, it comes from a word that means riots and disorder. More than once, on many occasions, riots have arisen. Crowds of people have gotten together for one sole purpose. They wanted to kill the apostle Paul. He says, we've had those things against us. But then there's a change that takes place in the middle of the sentence. I I was looking at something, today, and here's what I see. In stripes and in imprisonments, in in these tumults, every one of those are imposed by others. Those are things that he had no control over. Those are involuntary sufferings. Anybody want to volunteer to get beat stripes? Anybody want to volunteer imprisonment just for preaching the gospel? Those are involuntary sufferings. But something I see in the middle of this sentence, he changes to some voluntary sufferings. He says in labor, you choose whether or not to labor for God. You choose whether or not to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. You choose whether or not to go out on the street. You choose whether or not to go into the schools. You choose whether or not to be a witness. You choose whether or not to tell somebody about church, invite somebody to a judgment journey, share the gospel. We choose whether or not to labor. That is a voluntary suffering. Paul is suffering for some things because he chooses. Paul laid down at night. He was physically exhausted because he chose to labor for the good of others. But then he says, in watching. Watching is voluntary. Watching is for the good of others. I was thinking about what watching must be, and I thought about the prodigal son, and it may not be the best example, but in my terms, it seems like a pretty good example. I wonder how taxing. We were talking earlier about cancer. You, you get, um, hey, this might be cancer. They, they take The biopsies, they send it off, and you have to wait for it to come back, right? Now, we talked about not having patience, those things. Imagine in that day, his youngest son has taken his inheritance and left, and there's not a shadow of a doubt in my mind that that father believed with all of his heart that one day that boy was coming back. Because while he was still a great way off, the father saw him. He didn't see him unless he was watching. Paul says in watching. Don't you know there's some anxieties in watching? There, there's some work. There's some grievances in watching. There's even some responsibilities in watching. You have to take a soldier at night on watch. Every life in that camp depends on him. He's tired. He's fatigued. He's wore out. He'd light, lay down, and go to sleep but he must continue to watch because everybody down there in that camp is dependent on him. But he's volunteered to watch. You think of shepherds; shepherds have to watch over the sheep, watch over the flock. They're looking for the first sign of any one of them that might stray away from the flock. That is watching, but that is voluntary position. Paul spent many a nights watching. Let me tell you what nothing what watching is; it is praying. Praying at night is watching for the good of others. Praying while others are sleeping is watching out on their behalf. Prayer fights the enemy. Prayer is something that the enemy has no power against because when you pray, you are in tune. You are in one with the Holy Spirit of God with the power that is exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. and the demons of hell, there is no power against earnest prayer. Paul says that, that I'm, I'm watching, I'm, I'm standing watch. But then he gives another voluntary suffering. He says in fastings, I don't wear a watch, for time is it? Time for me to stop preaching. Let me go ahead let me go ahead and get another word in real quick. Let's go ahead and do fastings and then we'll stop. Because fa- the, the, word, the word here for fasting is a voluntary abstinence from food. It is to purposefully on your own decide I'm not going to eat. So that at the time when I should be eating, I'm going to be praying. At the time when I should be sitting down at a meal, I'm going to be reading God's Word, spending time alone with Him. And here's what I'm going to do. All day long at work or wherever I am, every time a hunger pain hits me, it reminds me to pray. Every time a hunger pain hits me, it reminds me to be in oneness with God. It is to keep my relationship Closer. Can I tell you that, that fasting is not something imposed by others? It is a voluntary suffering. Some people will think, why in the world? With all that the Apostle Paul went through, with all the beatings and all the things that happened, with all the hunger, with all the starvation, with all the shipwrecks, why in the world would he voluntarily fast? If he's going through all this turmoil involuntarily, why would he voluntarily put himself through fasting? Because he had a desire to be closer to the Lord. And all it is, is a voluntary suffering that you might draw closer to God. It says, hey, God, I'm very real about this prayer. I'm very serious. It means this much to me. I will put my body through suffering just to get your attention, just so that you might see what it means to me, just that I might draw closer to you. Fasting is not a duty. It's not a law, it's not some type of mandate, but it is powerful. And it is a difference maker. And any of us ever tried fasting, you fasted over some storms and situations, you've seen God do things. Does it always give you the answer you want? Absolutely not. What it will do is always draw you closer to God. It got us so close, he called us again. Miss Gooch is going to talk to him. I don't have time. I don't have time for another word, guys. Y'all heard the prayer request. I want to take a few minutes. I'm sorry it's a little bit late, but they say by about 8.15, so we got about four minutes, so um, maybe we just pray fast. I, I do want to take time to pray. The sick people count on it. You hear me? I said the sick people, they, they count on it. They, they need it, and if, it, if it's our child, if it's our family member, if it's our friend, then we're praying and we want others praying. So on their behalf, we we want to pray. Um, We we want to always take time to thank God in any prayer. That will be the first part of every prayer. Thank God for all that He's done for us, for the storms that He's brought us through, but for the patience that He's taught us through the tribulations that we've experienced. Everything God does has a purpose. Everything has a plan. God doesn't allow anything if it's not going to be for our good and for His glory. If there's not something good coming out of it, sometimes it's tough to. You know, sometimes you get a little bit out of shape. People get spiritual. All things work together for good. And then love God. Some, there's a time to use and a time not to use that verse. But the situations the same. All things do work together for good. That doesn't say that all things are good, but it says if we're strong enough to hold on through it, there's some good on the other end. God so will bring some good out of it. A lot of times you got to get to the other end of the storm to see the rainbow. While you're praying, let me ask you. I don't ever want to miss a chance. Anybody in this place, do you say if I died tonight, I do not know that I'd go to heaven. I want to, but I don't know that I would. And tonight I'd like to I'd like to make sure. I'd like to nail some things down. If that's you, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking except me. All I'm going to do is pray with you. If that's you, say, I've never been saved, but I want to be. You raise your hand right where you're at. I just want to pray with you tonight. I don't want anybody to walk out of these doors and wonder that Jesus Christ shows up before tomorrow morning. Where are you going to be?